We are live. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Police Off the Cuff After Hours. My name is Mark DeMayo. I'm your host. I'm here with my, my co-host, my partner in all things law enforcement, the very handsome Bill Cannon. What's up, Bill? How you doing, Mark? We had a real uh, banger of a show last night. We did the uh, a real crime episode, the case of the missing five-year-old from Tennessee, Summer Wells, and we had 865 new people become members of the Police Off the Cuff family by becoming subscribers. I want to thank each and every one of them. I can't thank you by name, but thank you so much. You will not regret becoming members of the Police Off the Cuff family. We have some outstanding material in our archives, and we're coming up with some really outstanding shows in the future. And uh, Mark, they haven't met you yet, so say hello speaking, to those. Speaking of our archives, we have um, a frequent guest. Um, he's sitting in with us tonight. We're going to be talking, uh, breaking down um, the diaphragm law, basically. We have another guest that we're waiting to join us. He's running a little late, but we're going to work. Uh, welcome a uh, frequent guest, another handsome guy, uh, an attorney at law, retired NYPD cop. What's up, Joe Murray? How are you? Hey, thanks for having me. I love the show, guys. You know that, and I support what you do. It's such an important message that you put out there, so I'm happy to contribute, and thanks for having me. No, no, we need you tonight. We need you. You're our legal expert. You've become our legal expert as we di go through uh, dissecting this diaphragm law, this diabolical diaphragm law. <laughs> I love um, that diabolical. That's great. It's You're so right. Stupid. It's so stupid. But, oh, look, he's got the police off the cuff mug, too. There you go. There is. But, oh, oh yeah. I just, uh, before we go any further, you mentioned the uh, the great show that you had yesterday. Um, you're covering, you were to uh, covering, uh, you had Duty Ron on, you had Joe on. And you, um, Irma Rivera, and you were covering the, uh, who knows, maybe it's the abduction or the murder of the, the little girl, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. What's her name? Summer? Uh, her, Summer? Her name is Summer Wells, and she's Summer. a five-year-old girl who's been missing now for three weeks. And there's, uh, there's a lot of speculation that, that her family could be involved, specifically her mother mm -hmm. and father, and mm -hmm. it's... It's a little bit complicated, and uh, I can't go into it again right now. But uh, it was we're hoping that the girl returns home safely. But right now, it's. Uh, I'll tell you how I heard what happened was because my girlfriend was. I don't know, she, she's uh, she's a big fan of crime, um, true crime, and she listens to those podcasts. And uh, she, I woke up this morning, and I heard your voice like on the other side <laughs> of the bed. And I'm like, what the hell? What? I thought it was. <laughs> I didn't sleep over either. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, this is so weird right now. So I turned over. And sure enough, she's listening to that episode, which uh, I heard most of it. It was a great, great episode. So I really got to I got to hand it to you, man. That was that was beautiful work. Thank you yeah. very much. You know, we had uh, Irma. People love Irma Rivera. They just, Yeah, how could uh, you not? How could you? Exactly. How could you not? Phil Grimaldi straight out of Brooklyn, not out of Compton, straight out of Brooklyn. And uh of course, we had Duty Ron, who's, uh, you know, he's a popular podcaster. Uh, for today's episode, guys, I'm just going to show the fans and uh, the non-police person out there a little video that shows uh, what the diaphragm law is uh, or shows someone in, in motion trying to make an arrest and putting their knee into the back of a perpetrator. Police department, I was hoping that I was wrong, but the fact is I wasn't, and the reality is it's actually much worse than I imagined. Watch this. A new city bill, which the department unsuccessfully advocated to amend, 
makes it a misdemeanor the acts of sitting, kneeling, or standing on the chest or back of a subject in a manner that compresses the diaphragm. I cannot kneel on the subject's back. I cannot sit on the subject's back. I cannot kneel on the subject's chest. I cannot sit on the subject's chest. As I fear the safest and most basic nonviolent control techniques of jujitsu used by literally hundreds of thousands of people every single day have been criminalized in New York City. And if you think that's bad, it actually gets worse. These nonviolent control techniques are criminal acts, even if unintentional and no injury was sustained by the suspect. Listen to this. These acts are defined by the new law as criminal acts, even if an act was unintentional and no injury was sustained by the subject. I don't care who you are. If this doesn't concern you greatly, let me put it into context. Even the best police officer in the history of New York City, someone who only arrests absolute criminals and someone who spent years and years and years developing a jujitsu skill set so that they could effectively control an unruly and even violent suspect without causing any harm to the suspect or to themselves in the process, that police officer will face criminal charges if they put their nonviolent skills to use. Maybe you're a civilian and you don't see any problem with this. Well, let me explain this crystal clear. By criminalizing nonviolent control tactics, you are encouraging violent tactics sooner than necessary. So impact weapons, baton, pepper spray, taser, fists, punches, strikes, all of these are going to be encouraged and authorized before the use of a nonviolent mount position. Listen, you guys, if I was going to get arrested, I would be rather be arrested 10 times to one by an officer who knows jujitsu, knows how to control someone nonviolently than the officer who is so fearful of using these nonviolent control tactics, so fearful of touching someone's diaphragm that they instead go to a taser or prematurely to a firearm in order to control someone during an arrest. Now, there are some good measures in this bill. But this one in particular regarding the elimination of the most basic nonviolent control tactics is an absolute disaster. But it shouldn't come as a huge surprise to any of us. This is what happens when critical policing decisions are made by a room full of suits at city council, none of whom have ever been arrested or ever been into a real street fight. And here they are deciding the future of policing in New York City. I've spoken to several officers in New York City and morale could not be any lower. Many of them are considering early retirement because it's just not worth it. Even if they arrest someone perfectly and effectively and justifiably, they could face criminal charges. What do you think there, right? Joe? He just hit right on the head. And I'm just thinking about all the arrest situations where I had to use force. I mean, I was trained as a boxer. I'm not, a, not in jujitsu. So I'm less inclined to use these uh, types of restraints and I'm more inclined to use my fists, which cause much more damage. And if I was properly trained in these jujitsu restraints and they were legal, I think the public would fare so much better for police officers to use these, uh, you know, constraints. But he mentioned something that was uh, very interesting in that, uh, they're more likely to go to, to uh, the taser, the firearm, uh, but they also mentioned the nightstick, which I don't even know if anybody carries anymore. That thing is 
when we came out of the academy, they handed us a bunch of stuff. I remember I got a black a flapjack. What was that called? The blackjack? Yeah, the, it was the billet, the billet the that billet. little thing, the billet. Well, no, yeah. but they also gave you that thing. It was lead. It was you put it in the palm of your hand. Yeah. Well, that was a slapper. That was illegal. <laughs> that, that didn't come from the academy. No, you uh, got that from the black market. <laughs> oh, man, I, I, I had one anyway. Yeah. But um, yeah, the, it's it's an incredible thing. It's like. Uh, so you're taking away all their weapons. That's what they did first. And now you're taking away, even if you're a, a, like a good grappler, let's say, and you can handle yourself. Um, and also these these uh, these schools that I'm sure they had a, an abundance of law enforcement going towards them, these mixed martial arts schools. Um, now now you can't use half the, taxes, the tactics that they're showing you. Yeah. It's, you know, it's in any way, when you take, Joe, when you take down a perp, uh, yeah, especially one that may be stronger than you, and you have a uh, multiple cops. You always want to take the guy to the ground, and yeah. that way you can get him under control. You can control his arms, get him cuffed, and to not be able to put your weight on him is just out and it's just ridiculous. And yeah. like the guy said on the on the uh, on the, the video we just watched, a bunch of suits, uh, you know that have never made an arrest. And he was probably mistaken because I bet you plenty of them have been arrested. And that's probably, uh, why, uh, that's probably why they wrote this stupid law, you know? Uh, but, you know, yeah, the, real, the real goal, because the danger is a prolonged struggle. I mean, how many times have you seen somebody get zipped in the face with a razor and it smiles up and it's horrendous. So the longer you're struggling with somebody, the more likely somebody's going to get hurt. I always had that fear. I've seen so many of those slashings, you know, that I would get slashed wrestling around with somebody. Mm -hmm. So you want to end that confrontation immediately. And these grappling techniques work, holding somebody down while you get the hands behind their back. If you can't hold somebody down, I, I don't know how these cops are doing it today. You know, I, I don't know either. And the point is, uh, we hear this all the time is that, oh, the police need more training. And I've discussed this a million times. When politicians say that, they don't mean it. They don't no. mean that they want to give them more training because training costs lots of money. And they're looking to defund the police, not refund the police. So when they say, oh, they need more training, again, they do not mean it. They don't want police to be proactive. They want them to be reactive. It, it seems like all right. these... Uh, these bad guys get arrested after the fact. Like the detectives are going down to hunt them down. All the shootings, they get them after the fact. Uh, the assaults, they get them after the fact. Why not just make everybody a detective? <laughs> you know what I'm just saying? Just have somebody come and take the report. Because it seems like when they find out who this person is, they use different tactics to go and arrest them. You know what I'm saying? It's the, the, the surprise element. But when you're taking away apply to everyone whether you're a detective or a police officer well what i'm saying is that when you're going after somebody with an arrest team the tactics are going to be different it's not just you're not reacting to something that just happened so basically what you're going to create is a police force that's just going to be responding they're not going to be proactive if something happened to you we're going to wait until it's it's over let the bad guy get away and then we're going to start our process which is investigating who it was getting an arrest team together, and then going after them. I'm sure I mean, that's well, what they want, Mark, but your conviction rate is going to plummet because when you can apprehend someone right on the scene, mm -hmm. that helps you know the evidence of their being the right person. 
rather than picking somebody out of a lineup two weeks later and then apprehending them. You apprehended them on the scene. Yeah. And there may not be so many witnesses later on, but they're right there to do a show up, an ID, a lineup, if you do it immediately. So I think, yeah, I think that is the goal. It's part of this decarceration, make affecting arrests and prosecuting as difficult as possible so nobody goes to prison. I think that's the goal here, but it's really just not in the public's interest. Joe, I think you're 100% right. KJAC Images, thank you so much for the 999 Super Chat. Uh, this is police off the cuff after hours. Uh, Mark DeMeo and Bill Cannon, this is attorney Joe Murray, who's also a retired police officer, became an attorney after he did 15 years on a job. Now he's living large, multiple residences. <laughs> he's, got, he's got mad money. You know, he's doing, he's doing great. Anyway, he's a frequent guest on our show and and we're talking and we're discussing the, the diaphragm law. And we uh, previously showed a, a video. And if you haven't been paying attention, the state Supreme Court reversed the diaphragm law as passed by the New York City Council and made it unconstitutional. And Joe is going to explain to us that there's a possibility they could reinstate this law if they rewrite it in a way that passes muster. You want to touch upon that, Joe? Yeah, it's really scary because... Uh, you know, there was another action brought just like a week after the, the New York City unions brought their action. It was by the state unions, state police, state corrections, um, you know, parole. They all have to interact in the city. So they're just as much in jeopardy of, you know, running afoul of this diaphragm law as city cops and, and superior officers, detectives. So they filed the same action and both actions, they filed a preliminary injunction, which is a provisional remedy to try to just stay the execution of that statute until the case has been decided. And it was shot down. But what's interesting is the judge acknowledged the constitutionality issue, saying that, you know, that language is vague. So he, he gave them, they had to prevail on that point, likelihood of success, and then it was the detrimental harm that it would cause. And they're saying, and that's why he denied it. But then there was the subsequent motion for summary judgment. And it was summary judgment by the city. They thought they were going to win this. And then the unions um, cross-moved for summary judgment. But when the court decided it, I think correctly, with regards to the, the unconstitutional vagueness, statutes have to be written with clear language so that the average person can understand what's illegal, what's legal. And the way this whole statute, like the, the, the specific language that became an issue, where is it? Let me just look at it here, is, all right. A person is guilty of, of criminal obstruction of breathing or blood circulation when with the intent to, oh wait, this is not it, this is the other one. Okay, here's the language or sitting, kneeling, or standing on the chest or back, and this is what was unconstitutionally vague, in a manner that compresses the diaphragm. Now I ask you, you guys are both cops, you've been out on the street, is there any possible way you can determine that somebody's diaphragm is being compressed? You can't. It's just it's No, impossible. you can't. That's true. 
it, yep. you know, you could see somebody's chest cavity being compressed, but that's not what makes it illegal. It's the diaphragm being compressed. And there was expert testimony by several people on both sides. And I think it was so clear by their papers looking at the argument the police department had their experts and they were arguing, well, here is our training. We train officers to never sit, kneel, or stand on somebody's back or chest. Well, that's not what the law says. The law doesn't say don't ever sit, kneel, or stand on the back or, back or chest. It says in a manner that compresses the diaphragm. Right. Now, if you can't define that and, and articulate how you can do that, you know, legally or illegally, make that distinction. It's vague. It's unconstitutionally vague. You're making some, what the law is saying is that you can kneel, sit, or stand on somebody's chest or back, but not in a manner that compresses the diaphragm. So how can you tell, looking at somebody as a prosecutor, as a police officer, as a supervisor, whether or not they're actually compressing their diaphragm as they're sitting, kneeling, or standing. And I think it was so clear. And the the city's papers ignored that issue. And that was the, the relevant issue. They completely ignored it and said, oh, we're able to train, and we can clarify it through training by just yeah. telling everyone, don't sit, kneel, or stand altogether. And that's insufficient. But now, in the judge's decision... What he said, he actually, uh, where is it? Oh, I'm sorry. I wrote it down word for word so I wouldn't forget it. The judge told in the decision, where the heck is it? Damn it. Oh, shoot, I can't find it. But in essence, in the decision, he said, that he sincerely hopes the city council will revisit this issue, this very important issue. So he's telling them that this one clause is what made it defective, and I hope you will take this back up to reenact this. That's what he's saying. And they can do it just by clarifying that language. They could change that instead of being um, in a manner that compresses the diaphragm, they could make it in a manner that compresses the chest. You could see a right. chest rising and falling, you know, they, or they could take it out altogether. Matter of fact, the city said, well, if that is the, the vague portion of the statute, we can sever that and the statute will be constitutional. So if you read it without that portion, it essentially says, uh, Restricts the flow of air or blood compressing the windpipe arteries each side of the neck or sitting, kneeling, or standing on the chest or back in the course of affecting or attempting to affect an arrest. Just make Joe, I want to show I'm gonna bring up one of the most egregious um showings of the diaphragm law and how two cops from the two five could have gotten killed from it. Before I go to that, I just want to thank Sip Some Tea with Maria with a $20 super chat. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Watch this video.
Kneeling on the chest, right? Standing up. Now it's a fight. Get him on the ground. This is such a good video because you even see this officer now holding the head. Or is he coming dangerously close to the neck? And Joe, Joe, my whole point is he's got a gun. He's yeah, got a gun. So their life was so endangered. And basically all four of them restricted his diaphragm. You want to lock yep. up all four of them? Yep. Incredible. So now you have the perpetrator controlling the situation. And him basically dictating to the police, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, because they can't put their weight on him to control this guy, according to the law. And in no way am I criticizing those two officers from the 2-5. Yes, they course. did a great job within the parameters that they are allowed. And they, But look at the danger they were put in. Both physically of being injured and then also criminally. They're, they're put in so much jeopardy right now, and I think that is the goal. They don't want officers to be proactive. They want you to take your time getting there, take a report, don't pursue anyone, and we'll deal with it later. And that's horrendous. That's a disservice to the public. But you know what? It's really right. That first portion of that video, they had him down, face down on the floor, two officers against this one person. It should have been it. Pin him down, pull his arms behind him, and it's over. For his safety and theirs, it's over. But you're not allowing officers to do that. And there could be a situation where you're actually, the officer's actually losing the battle at that point where the, the perpetrator's on top of you. And then, if you're lucky enough, you gain the advantage. Now you're on top of them. But once you're on top of them, then you've committed a crime. When they were yeah. on you, it's not a crime. It's all Joe, does the sense. provisions of Article 35 supersede uh, this, this, this diaphragm law? I was just going to say that Article 3530 of the penal law is the use of force by police to, to effect an arrest. And there are so many. I mean, they, the Attorney General's Police Accountability Act seeks to modify that. There's another... Um, bill in Albany that seeks to modify that, they want to change that as well, which is another reason, you know, we didn't get into it yet. I was hoping John would uh, be here, but there's another challenge that the unions made to it called preemption. When the state legislature has taken over the field of law, the city, they're preempted by the state and the city can't intercede and, and change the law. And I think it's that was one of their best arguments. They lost that argument, but they filed a uh, notice of appeal. And I think they'll win that on appeal. There was just so much out there now between the governor's executive orders, the state legislature, they're passing bill after bill after bill, 
uh, creating a new office in the attorney general's office uh, for police accountability and investigation, all these new laws about the, the police stats, reporting uses of force, um, the uh, body-worn cameras now required, and uh, you know the, the other uses of force legislation that has passed. I think it's clear that the state has preempted it. And when you think about it from a context of that other lawsuit, the, the state unions, corrections, police, they filed a similar lawsuit. When I read theirs, I read it a little differently because, okay, they're state officers. They have jurisdiction throughout the state, the state police, and now they have to worry about what's the law in this city, what's the law in that city. I don't think it's fair to them, and I think that's why the preemption argument is so much stronger when you're looking at it from that capacity. Well, look at the uh, – was it Yonkers PD that said that if something happens and the perpetrator – goes goes back into the city they're not going to chase him yeah or vice versa yeah. just because the diaphragm law here if you get involved in something that officer that's not even in the law in his jurisdiction if he was helping out it's good faith right these officers are helping and responding in good faith which would have been protected on the qualified immunity civilly you know they want to remove that and now criminally, they're acting in good faith to try to assist officers who need help. And now they can't because of this. Joe, one of the things that one of the things that has been said, and uh, I want to get your opinion on this, is that a strong mayor can back off the city council and say, no, we're not doing that. But the Blasio was probably the weakest mayor in the history of the universe, not just New York City. <laughs> and um, yeah, I- so when this diaphragm law Passed, he couldn't wait to stamp it, you know, approved, you know. But if we get a stronger mayor, and maybe Adams uh, will be a stronger mayor in regards to uh, law and order, maybe he'll, you know, put put a little restraint on the city council from doing outrageous things like the diaphragm law. You know, it's just my unexpert opinion watching the city council. They love their little pet projects and all that, and they need the executive to pass these bills. So I'm sure there's a lot of bargaining and, and you know, a negotiating that goes on. So yeah, a powerful mayor could be, or a strong mayor could be effective and using his position, you know, to, to advocate and, and negotiate, you know, different bills or different <clears throat> language. Hey, Brendan MCG says, Mark, all of the adjoining counties enacted a policy like that, like the diaphragm. I don't know if that's, is that correct too? No, they, they well, adopted a policy where they wouldn't go into New York city to yes, assist that's because they, they would have yeah. to comply with New York city's diaphragm law. That's yeah. What he was uh, okay. about. Uh, I thought they complied. I thought they enacted the diaphragm laws and those other ones too. No, no, this no is just I, you know, but the other thing is, is that when you talk to guys in some of the, um, you know, busier precincts, they say that a lot of the politicians in those precincts are saying they can't even believe that this law is enacted and they wanted to turn it, overturn it. But then you see an awful lot of people that don't want to overturn it. You saw the nine candidates for the Democratic nomination for mayor. The only one that maybe was against it was Adams. The rest of them were just tried and true, uh, you know, progressives. Yeah. I use that word progressive because I don't want to use communist, but... Uh, you know, they were all for the diaphragm law. 
Yeah, it's 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 really so bad for, and I don't even want to say bad for policing. It's bad for the public. Yes. Look at the crime spikes we're having all around. That's a contributing factor. Mm-hmm. I, I told you, I arrested, I arrested, I represented a guy in a 7-7 with the firearm. And I was just talking to the cop, you know, on the side about it. You know, he gave it up. There was no issue. There was no pursuit. And I said, look at this diaphragm law. What if this guy ran? He goes, if he ran, he would have got away. You know, like the, these cops realize that that's a big Joe, issue. How, how about in Chicago where they're not allowed to chase? Yeah. yeah. How are those hundred shootings they had last weekend? How are they feeling now? 11 that's deaths. I'm you know? telling you because it's, oh, it's coming to New York too. Yeah. You know, I want to go to a I want to go to a quick commercial and then we'll get right back into this. Sure. Um folks, if you're tired of living in the northeast and you want to go down south for better weather, maybe uh less expensive housing. Carol Waters is a realtor down in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. She was formerly a bartender for 20 years at the Fitzpatrick Hotel in Midtown. Her husband Rob Mayen was a NYPD police officer rolled over to the FDNY and two of the, together they make an unbelievable team of real t- real estate salespeople down in Myrtle Beach South Carolina in fact they're million dollar salespeople so if you're looking for a vacation home or you want to relocate give Carol Waters a call 914-261-6681 or you can email her at carolwaterssellsmb at gmail.com if you're uh... a <laughs> If you're a cop and you get jammed up, or if you're a civilian and you get jammed up, whatever you need, if you if you need a lawyer, you can only go, why not just get the best lawyer you can possibly get? JMurrayLaw.com. Uh, our guest tonight, Joe Murray, is a great lawyer. Um, he not only helps law enforcement, civilians, um, he'll take up uh, any case that's, that, that, you know, it's worth it. Um, and... Uh, this is his uh, information right here. You got his phone number, and the, the it's jmurray-law.com. Visit that website and put the number in your phone. Trust me when I tell you. Screenshot if you have to, 646-838-1702. I call that phone number up once a day just to make sure that I have it on my speed dial, on my, on my cell phone, <laughs> just in case something happens. You know, I always want to call Joe, but I hope it's not for uh... – <laughs> for using him as an attorney, I uh, hope it's to, to invite him on the show again. You know, because uh, uh, he's a, as you know, Mark, he's a huge supporter of police off the cuff, a huge supporter of the police, and a really fair guy that knows his job. And uh, we're thrilled to have him here. Um, thank you, guys. Y- you know, Joe, we uh, we don't want to beat the diaphragm law. I was hoping John Monahan would be here, but he he ran into some problems with traffic coming back up to uh, Rockland County from Long Island. So I don't know if he's going to make it on the show. That's why it's so good that we do have you here. And one of the things I told you that we were going to talk about was it seems that everyone is panicking right now over gun violence. Voila, you know, Uh, and not just New York City. As I said, Chicago on the July 4th weekend had 100 people shot and 11 of those would killed were, were homicides new york city i think last weekend had 26 people shot so what is you know what is the recipe how are we gonna you know combat this gun violence and I, i'm gonna let you answer that but i'm later on i'm gonna tell you what our esteemed governor cuomo 
who usually doesn't give a damn about crime, he enacted a program, and we'll talk about that a little bit. You want to comment on that, Joe? Yeah, I, I definitely do. And this is why I love your show so much. I am so frustrated by this because, as you know, I ran for district attorney in 2019 uh, for the Queens County District Attorney's Office. And one of the big issues that I was arguing, because remember, in 2019, the election was November of 2019, bail reform was coming in January of 2020. There you uh, are, ready for a fight. Reform, it's on the screen, Joe. Yeah, there he is. The discovery reform was coming in 2020. Like all these things were coming. And one of the issues during our debate, we were on New York One and we had our debate, was gun violence. And all she talked about was, well, we have to go after traffickers because, you know, you convict somebody. Uh, somebody uses a gun. It was outrageous what she said. Somebody uses a gun. It's not just the victim and the victim's family that's that's hurt by it. It's also... The, the person who fires the gun in their family, like that person's a victim. So, you know, I was arguing and saying that all of these measures, the closing of Rikers Island, uh, the diaphragm law, I mean, all of this stuff is just outrageous. It's going to lead to higher crime. And sure enough, here it is. And people are wondering how this will happen. And Governor That's Cuomo. Sorry. No, go ahead. I'm going to go ahead. And then we have Governor Cuomo, like he's reinventing the wheel, trying to take credit and, and, you know, show that these are his ideas, most of which the NYPD was doing anyway. With anti-crime, the whole purpose of anti-crime was to remove guns. And, you know, when he talks about target hotspots, what did the anti-crime do? They went to the hotspots in the precinct and they focused on that. You know, like there were so many initiatives, street crime. I, I worked in Midtown North. We saw them there regularly because we have tourists coming in from all over the world and they are preyed upon and victimized routinely. And these guys and gals were there using their skills to, to prevent these robberies and, and gun violence. So I, Joe, I, I think Steve Cologne loves to hear your expertise. And he, <laughs> he, I love that he loves to hear it And while he's throwing us a 1999 Super Chat. Thank you so much. Steve Cologne for that Thank 1999 you, Super Chat. And we love Joe's expertise, too. That's why we have him on the show so often. And I'm just going to touch upon, Cuomo had a news conference at John Jay College of Criminal Justice on Tuesday. And he had passed an executive order that um, declared gun violence a disaster emergency. Did he just figure this out? Was he under a rock somewhere? And did he just right. figure this out? And he came up with a seven-point plan that I'm going to mention. Uh, treat gun violence like a public health emergency. You know, remember he would always give those um, uh, COVID screenings every day. Well, John Monahan is here. Oh, great. J John, how are you? I'm just yeah, going to, well, uh, before we talk to you, I'm just going to, I'm going through Cuomo's seven point anti-gun plan, and then we'll get back to you in a, in a, in a second. Okay. Okay, great. Uh, target hotspots with data and science. He was saying that all the time. We're going to look at the science. You know, he's <laughs> one of those science guys. Unless the science disagrees with his ideology, then he's not a science guy. You know, we're going to look at the science and we're going to do it smart. You know, he's a real smart guy. Positive, positive engagement with at-risk youth. I agree with that. That's very important. 
break the cycle of violence. I don't know how he intends to do that, but that's... Oh, wait, hold on a second, Bill. You, you say, like, I agree with that. Like, that's a good idea he came up with. We've been doing that in the police department for decades. I mean, the Cops and Kids program, the boxing, PAL, we've been doing this. And it's, it's just not being supported. He should be directing earmarking funds for that program if, if he felt so strongly about it instead of just squawking. No, 100%. He, he cannot reinvent the wheel. Let me just get through these. Um, get illegal guns off the street. Voila. Stop question and frisk, Governor. How do we get them? But, you know, one of the things that the progressives, they don't differentiate between guns and illegal guns. To them, they're the same. Because the perpetrator is not important. The gun is the evil person. The gun, that inanimate object, is evil. Not the guy shooting the gun. It's the gun itself. Keep, oh, I love this one. Number six, keep guns out of the hands of dangerous people. Wow. Where did you think of that? Yeah, that's a genius. And then rebuild the police community relationship. I don't know if it was broken, but he uh, says we should rebuild it. All right. Uh, 77% of people shot in this city are people of color. And I think Cuomo just learned that because uh, he, he declared gun violence a major civil rights issue. They always have to throw that in there, you know, because he's really not serious about fighting gun crime. He's serious about running for national office. And this is one of the ways he's going to do that. You can see I really enjoy Cuomo. I really like him a lot, you know. But uh, anyway, that's his gun program. Captain John Monahan has arrived and uh, he was our guest of honor. And now we're going to punish him by showing some photos of him from back in the day. Oh, no. uh, this photo here is, is this is a classic. <laughs> we even have Detective Pat, one of our favorite guests. He's up in the front. I don't know what he was packing back then, maybe 240, 250, or maybe yeah, yeah, he was yeah. svelte. I don't know. But uh, that's Detective Pat with uh, Sergeant John Monahan right next to him. Look at this. This should be wait, on a wait, poster. Billy, Billy, go back for a second. To that <laughs> okay. Picture. You being an actor. See, Patty is right to the left of me in the picture, right? Right. And see the guy standing behind me? Do you recognize him? Oh, yeah. He's an actor. Yeah. he's the, He was on Oz, right? He was yes, on Oz. exactly. David Zayas. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. He's done a lot of work, that guy. Yeah. But I think this picture here. Oh, no, not that one. <laughs> this, one this one here. That should be like a police anti-recruitment poster <laughs> <laughs> and of course this you made captain and you're buffing out that's your daughter there is that the daughter i met in scotland yes it is billy yes, well tell is. her i said hello <laughs> that's more noreen monahan wow and here's She's another one now oh, no look at that. Most beautiful girl in the world with your beautiful wife She's still. Here, oh my god johnny mac and Johnny Mac is in the chat, and I had to throw this picture in, you know, to throw him a little bone here, you know. And here you are, and you you can't hang out with anyone that's not Irish. You're unbelievable. You know what? Stay there you know? for one second. I got to tell you a funny story. I grew up, well, I grew up down the concourse, and then we moved up to Riverdale when I started high school. And we were we were uh, frequent patrons of the Riverdale Steakhouse. And <laughs> when my mom passed, we scheduled a dinner after the funeral mass there, right? Uh -huh. And and uh, it's the son now that runs it and the daughters of Terry Connaughton. Terry Connaughton was on our job back in the 50s, retired, and he owned the steakhouse for decades. If you look closely between my head and Ray Kelly's, that's uh -huh. Terry Connaughton in the background. Oh, wow. Isn't that funny? That was at yeah. the, the residence of the Irish consulate. Man, you can't do anything that's not Irish. Holy yeah, shit. Right. 
That's my good, though. My other daughter yeah. lives in Dublin now. Wow, man. You're yeah. going back. You're going back to your roots like a salmon. Anyway, <laughs> but while, while we have you here, now, Joe, how do you do the questioning? Because, Joe, you questioned John about what his testimony was since you are the legal expert. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear that, Bill. I said, Joe, would you question John about what his Supreme Court testimony was that resulted in the reversal of the diaphragm yes, law? Yes, thank you. I'm sorry, I blacked out here for a second. But, uh, John, I loved your, I loved reading your bio. It was incredible. Oh, cool. uh, Thanks. You know, what you've done, Harvard trained. I mean, it's your credentials were exceptional. And it was you and, and former Commissioner Kelleher that provided these affidavits I think you guys hit it right on point. Did you find, I didn't review their training materials. I didn't get to go through that. It was included in their papers. But did you find that their training materials really just glossed over this? They didn't attack the real issue about the compression. And it was just essentially saying, don't sit, kneel, or stand on anyone while you're making an arrest. Right. Well, you know, I mean, as far as their training documents, they tried. You know what I mean? Yeah, they tried. They were told to draw up a lesson that will put our people in compliance with this law, and it wasn't possible to do. So, you know, I'm going to talk about their training materials being insufficient, but of course they were insufficient because you cannot train people to do the impossible. Uh, you know, it was that simple. You know, it was really funny. Obviously, I wrote a long, detailed report, which became an affidavit. So the things in there, 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 there were other comments on the training. Uh, they, you know, they do a lot of role play training, right? And they took photographs. Are we still connected? Yep. We're still here. Yep. Okay. Still here. I, I had you on the screen by yourself. You had your chance at stardom, but you tried oh, to screw it okay. up. Okay. <laughs> um, it, it was it was almost comical in that they did role plays and took still photos of people in compliance with the law. As, as is stated in their training materials, and the freaking cop had his arms around the guy's torso. <laughs> where is, you know, where the diaphragm is? Like, here, you can do this, and this is how. And they show a picture of someone not doing it. Like, I, I'm not denigrating uh, the people who drew up those training materials. You with me? They did their job as best as they could. The law was not possible to draw up training materials to be in compliance with. Right. You know, that's what it came down to. It was, uh, this was, you know, I, and Joe, maybe you can square me away on this. I don't believe the yeah. New York City Council is a legislative body. They're not there to write, they don't write laws. They were in, out of their depth. They didn't know what they were doing there. I mean, it, it was yeah, so well, poorly written. You're so right. They really don't know what they're doing. They're not, no. they're not good at what they're doing when, when they, you know, write laws like this. Um, but they are a legislative body and they're allowed to write these, you know, the administrative uh, code. And that's that's what it is. Um, so they have authority to do that. But I don't know if you had an opportunity to look at the preemption argument. The preemption argument, I thought, was just as powerful. And the judge ignored it. I think on appeal, because they did appeal that preemption argument, I think on appeal they'll win the preemption. And that preemption will prohibit the city council from revisiting this. As you may be aware, in the decision, 
the judge actually went out of his way to tell the city council to sincerely revisit this issue to like rewrite it so that it's constitutionally permissive. And that scared the hell out of me because they, it's really an easy fix for them to do. In fact, the city in their opposition papers, they were actually saying to the judge, okay, if you are inclined to find that that phrase is unconstitutionally vague, just take it out, which in effect would have made it completely illegal to sit, kneel, or stand on the chest or back of, of anyone while you're making an arrest. Here, at least they had the qualifier without compressing uh, the diaphragm. The problem is it's an impossibility. You're 100% correct. There is no way for you to determine by looking at it as a police officer, a supervisor, how do you enforce it? You can't tell if the diaphragm is being compressed. You so, know, Joe, I, Joe, if I could just stop you guys for one second, and John, will, I'm sure he will reiterate and have similar experiences. When I was a sergeant on patrol, there were many times when I would get a cop off someone's back who was already cuffed, say, get your, get your knee out of his back. And sometimes yeah. they'd be pissed. What do you mean? So I'd be like, dude, his chest can't compress. He's cuffed. Get your knee off his back. Now you don't have to worry about putting all your weight on him. But to initially get him cuffed, you need to do that. You know what's the real remedy? You know, to yeah. have other officers who are, are and supervisors who can, when they witness something that's excessive, you know, restrain you. But that video you showed was so on point. They had the perp on the ground face down. If they would have just froze him and pulled his arms behind his back, they, they could have had him. But they were, you know, unable to because I think the fear of running afoul of this law by, you know, pressing, compressing the back, it's just too dangerous. You know, those phrases, compressing the back, kneel, stand, sit on someone, have been in a patrol guide for a couple of decades now. To criminalize that is ridiculous. Billy, you said yeah. something interesting that, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you were pulling cops off people who may have been sit sitting, kneeling or standing on somebody. We, we, you know, we have evolved. The NYPD has evolved in its training, its practices, and the way we do business like no other department. When, when this defunded police thing started out in the Midwest, and then it rolled in here to New York, and it was a couple of thousand people, a couple of thousand in front of City Hall on the eve of the budget passing June 30th of last year, I could not believe that the city council went with them against the wishes of their actual constituents. And passed this insane law. You know, you're talking about Cuomo and the gun laws. They never, they never check with their actual constituents. The people who live in these neighborhoods who love us and appreciate the job that we're doing, uh -huh. no one checked with them. This, this, I, you know, the law was so poorly written, and I, I don't, I don't believe it was done on purpose. They had to know it wasn't. You cannot. It was horrible. There was no intent. There was no mens rea. There's no uh, result of an injury required. It's just like a strict liability law. Yeah. You know, whether or not an injury is incurred. It's and horrible. You, you know, I just want to ask you, Kat, I just want to ask you the patrol guide section you're talking about. I believe there was other qualifying language, like unless absolutely necessary. Right. There always don't, is. You know, yes. they eliminated that. They said in no certain terms, sitting, kneeling, or standing that compresses the diaphragm, which is impossible to know.
Right. Well, the uh, diaphragm but, was never in a patrol guy. That's ridiculous. That's yeah, yeah, no, that's... I'm talking about the you need an x-ray machine out of patrol with you. To know, yeah, but, yeah. You know. You know, John, but one of the Captain John, Captain Monaghan, <laughs> you know, we go a long way back. I worked with him in the 2-6 in 1990 when we, well, I got promoted, he got promoted six months before me, and uh, he was already in the 2-6, and then I think you went to Manhattan North Task Force after that, right? Right. right. That, was a long, that was a long time ago, and yeah. you can see my hair isn't the same color, and neither is yours, even though you're using the Grecian oh, formula, is. you're using the Grecian formula 44. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to out you. But anyway, one of the things we would hope is that these city councils, the mayors, the people that are trying to legislate would ask the experts whether there is any feasibility to what, but they don't. They're so arrogant that they ask no one. Yeah. Even Eric Adams said that the other day when they, when the law got thrown out, they asked him what he thought of it. And he even said that, uh, they should have consulted the experts in the field. Now, they claim to have done that. I don't know who they consulted. They didn't talk to you, Joe, right? They didn't talk to me. Uh, I, I don't know. They said that they did. They didn't offer any names. But this is obviously written by someone who has never had to put their hands on anybody who's resisting them. Exactly. Yeah. It, listen, I said it to you the last time I was on here, Billy. Police science, they don't even believe that it is a, 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 any type of body of, of academic an actual experience they, they they disregard it disrespect it it means nothing to them we are not experts they think any any idiot can do the job and you know this whole profession this really pisses me off when you see people like the city council and Cuomo and state and they write stuff and throw it down on the cops with no no conversation with experts in the field this whole profession in our lifetime it has gone from a blue collar job to a white collar profession think about this you, you mentioned back in the day, right? I graduated high school in 1979. If you want to take a, a classes in criminal justice or police science, John Jay was the only place, right? Where you taught Billy, I got my bachelor's there. That was the only place. Now, name a college that doesn't offer a degree or at least classes in that field. The entire profession, educational mandates, the first time they ever did that was 1988, the test that we took, Billy. We didn't get promoted. Remember Mike Flynn and Pete Manti? They didn't get their, their, their uh, however many credits, 64 credits. Right, they got right. demoted after their probationary period. Yeah, you know, and I remember Joe Toll, the president of the SBA union, he goes, you no. take away one sergeant's rank and will, and all of a sudden they're, they're demoting guys left and they right. Did. They demoted those two guys. They were the test case. Then they went back to school, got their, their, their credits, and got re-promoted. But my right. point is this. As the profession evolves, you can see it there. Educational mandates were a brand new thing. They had to break that culture, force that to happen. Now you have to back, you have to have 96 credits for lieutenant, bachelor's degree to be a captain. And there are departments nationwide that won't hire someone without without a bachelor's degree. We, you know, police science is a real thing. You know, Joe, when we were young cops, if a guy retired and got a law degree, wow. I mean, it's still yeah. wow. Don't don't get me right. wrong, it's still wow. But there are far more guys now with law degrees that were cops. Like, we have evolved as a profession to the point where how can you deny that we know what we're talking about here? And yet right. they ignore it. They completely ignore it, disrespect all the body of knowledge and experience that we have for political reasons. Because well, you know, John, we were talking about, we were talking before about how politicians love to say they need more training, but they really don't mean that because they don't want to pay for it. And it also, training takes a cop off the road. You know, they I, don't just want had a that. Case, I just had a case in Kingston or uh, Ulster County, the law firms in Kingston. 
And it, it all came down to that and training. You know what Trump's training? Experience. Yeah. And, and the only good training, you know, there's a big distinction between academic writings that you'll find in colleges that, you know, people sit around with no experience. Hey, this is a good idea. And you know what? They're not bad ideas. I would agree with them. But you don't know how it's going to work in reality. Whereas proper training is born of after action reports. We know what happened here. This worked. Let's try and codify it. This failed. Let, let's prohibit that. You know, training built on actual experience. That's what we have, which tells you experience trumps training every time. Right. You right. take a guy out in the field in a radio car with you for six months. He's going to know a hell of a lot more than the guy who spent a year in the academy learning from a, from an instructor who was never in the field. So when we talk about training, I kind of chuckle. Like, they, like you said it, Billy. It's a panacea in their minds. Oh, more training, more training. No, you know what? You need to, they need to come out and see it from our view. Remember they used to take politicians to the fun house? Do they still do that? Yeah, and they used to kill about 14 people, right? <laughs> yeah, well, that's the point, man. These politicians, right. before you can come out and write a law that's going to affect the way the cops do business, you need to go to the fun house. You know what I mean? At least that but, much. You know, John, they're, they're so arrogant that they don't care. That's I mean, exactly Letitia James, Letitia James wrote a hit report on the NYPD's response. I'm sure you know about it yeah. on the NYPD's response to last summer's riots, which of course they called protests, but she knowing nothing about policing, nothing, nothing about nothing. how to respond to disorderly groups. She wrote this report, which was just a, you know, a biased hit report and the DOI did the same yeah. and, and they didn't have the people of quality of knowledge of knowing the profession that could, you know, well, they were readily available to them, but they ignored them. That was just, of course they do. That's the arrogance of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they can get away with it. You know, listen, so often you hear guys say, and I've actually felt it myself at times that I wish our unions had more power that they could do more, but this is a case. 18 unions got together, 18 unions. That's a lot of juice. That's a lot of power. And then they went and hired one law firm to handle this compression law case, and they won. No one expected the, the, the motion for summary judgment to be, you know, successful. I give these guys a lot of credit. Those 18 unions, you know, Ed Mullins and all his guys got together, and they hired that law firm who did a fantastic job on this thing. So, you know what? The unions really did a great job here. That got thrown out because of them. So well, you know, the unions life. the unions do need to mobilize when there's... They did. Uh, they did. Yeah, yeah, they absolutely did. I mean, yeah. Ed Mullins has a fight right now where he's suing the police department for trying to silence him. CCRB yeah, is okay. trying to silence the head of a union with their nonsensical, you know, saying, oh, he can't say that. And I love when Ed calls someone from the city council a little whore. I love to see the guy's face when he calls the guy that. It's 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 it's, it's just amazing, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah but you're so right. I mean, what they did was was brilliant. I read their papers. It was just it was you know, you read it. It was so logical and made sense. I'm I'm disappointed in the preemption argument. I think the judge just you know didn't get it. Uh, there's what is clearly- the preemption? I, I'm not clear on what that means, the preemption, uh, preemption argument. Oh, yeah. Preemption I mean, is the state, uh, the state legislature. If they, there's two ways to preempt. You could do field preemption. In this area of law, we are supreme. We only 
uh, have the right to legislate here. Okay. And then there's conflict preemption. If the state, uh, who's the higher authority, if the state enacts a law and the local uh, jurisdiction enacts something in conflict, it's stricken down because they have a supremacy. So the preemption argument was well, you know, put in there, but I think they could have added so much more. There was Cuomo's executive orders talking about, I think, you know, they passed this legislation called the say their name legislation. There were like 10 different bills on, on police conduct and police reform. They enacted two more by, le by legislation, two more offices under the authority of the, um, um, what do you call it? What's her name? Letitia James, the state, state attorney, attorney general. general. Two more offices under the attorney general to now look into this uh, police conduct and misconduct. The state has clearly preempted this area of law. And they enacted another section of the law a week before this, 121-13A. Oh, that's the, right. Yeah, that was the, the, the highlight of the... Uh, the uh, the arguments there, and it clearly shows the intent of the legislature to to control this area of law. I I, I don't know how the judge didn't see it. You know, Joe. Are, are someone you someone in the Joe. Someone in the chat is calling you the silver fox, and that you're so handsome. But the scary thing is, it's a guy. You know, so I'm a little nervous. <laughs> and, it, and it's Listen, duty run. <laughs> but duty run. Thank you so much for that. Total of $15 super chat. You're right. Joe is the uh, the silver fox. He's very handsome. He's a big supporter. And uh, we love him here on Police Off the Cuff. You know, guys, we're coming up on an hour. I just want to, for um, for John Monahan, I want to promote his school a little bit. There he is teaching. Yeah. He's a, As you can tell, he's an outstanding teacher. He owns a police promotion school called The Key. And uh, he's living large. Him and Joe Murray, they should uh, they should buy some land together they got mad money and there he is <laughs> there's the three shields he's teaching those courses and there he, when you get promoted and if you study with the key you will get promoted they send you that little card there congratulations on your promotion now, now billy don't forget about my novels the last time i was on here oh, I, oh my god it. i can't even you know something i gotta do more promotion for this guy then let me see where <laughs> i got your novel somewhere head on head on is one no, of the not um, that one. Not, that's Okay, here's the, the other one. The Guns of War? That one. That, that's the one. That, yeah. How do you that's say that? First, and... That's the first in the series. The Guns of Antwerp. I, I don't yeah, have that Head book. On is the first. Now bring up Guns okay. of Antwerp. I don't have the picture. I'm sorry. Oh, oh, but I'll, well, I'll say it. The Guns of Antwerp. Hey, did you own a car wash or something I can promote too? What else do you have? <laughs> where do we, <laughs> Holy shit. Where do we find these school. books? I promote his books. I tell everyone he's a great teacher. Anything else? Are you selling anything out of your yard? What do you, you got a car, got a garage sale coming up? <laughs> Where do we get the books on Amazon? Yeah, or Barnes and Noble. Yeah, all right. The you know, Antwerp. John, you're you're a fan. You're a really smart guy. I know you and um, this is the Irish connection from the Bronx. In fact, I, I'll mention his name. Joe Kane is my accountant, and they're they're asshole buddies too. Joe and John Monahan, and it's the Irish connection from the Bronx. And I never knew that Irish guys were that smart till I met these guys, you know. And I was like, oh man, these guys are pretty damn smart. I mean, you know, maybe I'll hire Joe Kane as my accountant, and I've never regretted it. Captain Joe Kane, 
our finest financial stage in the monkey barrel on on the royal mile in edinburgh (laughs) joe i met his his daughter in scotland i was doing a comedy show over in scotland right at the monkey barrel and he told me his daughter's there and she came to the show it was great it was great to see someone but uh john you're a real uh, asset to the nypd and uh we're hoping that this diaphragm law is going to stay not a law. And, you know, I, you know let city- me ask you a question. I, I thought huh. when the judge said, uh, please revisit this more sincerely, I thought he was just throwing a bone politically like, hey, I'm a Democrat. I don't, I, you know, no hard feelings. But that was a sincere thing. <coughs> and then they, you think they, you think they're going to revisit it? I really believe that this judge was almost apologetic. That's what he because sounded it like. So obvious by your testimony, and and uh, it was former Commissioner Kelleher also put in an affidavit. It was so clear, and they had medical uh, people testify that yeah, right. You cannot tell if the diaphragm is going to be compressed by this. There's no way to 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 really. So you think he was sincere when he told them to revisit it? Absolutely, absolutely. Because don't forget the city's opposition. They said, okay, judge, even if you are inclined to find that to be vague, strike that, and then it'll be fine the way it is. Leave the law intact. And he made a comment that said, I, I want to make note that nobody objected to the first part of the statute, which is the restriction of the neck, the arteries, and the breathing, obstruction of breathing. Nobody objected to that at all. So he's almost saying, like, just make that little fix, and this will be good. You got it. You know, Joe, it's one of the bad things in John. Billy, I'm also, sorry. I got to take off. We're losing power. Verizon finally answered the phone. I got to pick up on this. All right, listen, we'll have to have you back in the future. Joe, but, great uh, day, sir. And thank you. Thank you. Well, all right, John, we'll see you the next time. He, you can tell he's a brilliant guy, but he yeah. just uh, he, he went to Long Island. Whenever you drive out to Long Island, you never know when you're going to come back. Because no, I'd, love to, I'd love to continue the conversation with him, though, because there's there's a couple of things in his affidavit that I wanted to talk to him about. But uh, great. You know, work. Du- Duty think- Ron said Duty Ron says he, he gave us another ten dollars. He said, Bill, with all the money that captain has, he has to buy a tried and true microphone. <laughs> <laughs> but so, really, I, I, I want to just don't skip over this. The unions all came together state unions and the local unions all came together. They filed this thing. It was brilliant. Everyone working hard to, this is how we're going to make things better by coming together like this. And uh, it's not over. And there are going to be other fights to come with this and other areas of law. But I love to see that collaborative working. Well, you know, Joe, the police needed a victory badly because we've been taking it on the chin for two or three years now. And this was a sorely needed victory. And we'll take it. We'll take one in the win yes. column, you know. We'll definitely. Yes. Black Rose, thank you for the uh two dollar super chat. Uh we appreciate anything. Uh, you know, pennies, nickels down. I don't want to get carried away. <laughs> but uh thank you so much. Uh, you know, as I said, the police, we needed a victory, and this was a victory. Now we gotta work on qualified immunity. Uh, we gotta work on the defunded the police. Gotta work thing. On- Getting people into office. We have to focus on these elections. I love that you guys are, are politically involved and trying to promote certain things. We have to get the electorate out. They got to come out and support good people. 
so we can make changes. We want to improve the city. We want to improve our quality of life. If we sit back and do nothing, these maniacs are going to ruin everything. 100%. Mark, any uh, final words you want to promote uh, comedy? You want to promote, you want to promote us? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be at the Eastville Comedy Club if you're in Brooklyn tomorrow night, 8 p.m. showtime. And uh, that's that's pretty much it for this weekend. But right now, uh, thanks, Joe. Thanks for coming in. And it, it, once again, you're beautiful. And, you know, right, Duty right. Ron wants to promote the fact that he gave me this microphone. It's Blue Yeti. That's a good, he wants to it's promote a nice, it's a beautiful. It is a beautiful mic. Yeah, Duty Ron, mic. thank you so much for the mic and all you do for us. Fuzzy Doxy, thank you much so much for the 499 Super Chat. Guys, I have to mention, last night we did a show on the missing five-year-old girl from Tennessee, Summer Wells. She's five years old. She's been missing for three weeks. It's a heartbreaking case. But we had a superstar NYPD panel, Irma Rivera, Phil Grimaldi, Duty Ron. And we took on the issues in the case, not criticizing any of the investigators from Tennessee or anywhere else that's working this case, but just giving our input from our, with our background. And don't you know... We gained 865 new subscribers for the Police Off the Cuff wow. family. And, Thank you guys so much. Oh, that's the best we've ever did in one night. And, you know, we continue to grow this channel, and we're going to do some real spectacular things. We have a website now. We're coming up with a membership channel. Of course, we have our Patreon with the three different levels. And, again, all you people that are Patreon members, thank you so much. That really keeps us afloat. And you people are giving us the uh, – the Super Chats, I can't thank you enough. And as I said, 865 new subscribers to the Police Off the Cuff family. And we, we really, really appreciate that. Bob Starkman is in the uh, is in the chat. Uh, he's great friends with uh, Joe Pistone. They they buy their sunglasses at the same store. <laughs> I think I think Joe Pistone gets them from the FBI equipment <laughs> section. You know? he's, he's got a new pair of sunglasses for every day. And uh, Bob Stockman said, great uh, uh, job, you guys. And Bob, I hope, told me you were under the weather yesterday. I hope you're feeling better. Uh, Mark, any last words before we sign out? No, no, it was a great show. Thanks, Joe. Uh, John, John's gone, but he's always great, too. And uh, what do we got coming up next? I'd have to look at, oh, actually, we have um, this Monday, Bert Ross, uh, who happens to actually be my wife's uncle, who is a, oh, yeah. uh, he was the mayor of Fort Lee, New Jersey at the age of 28. He was offered a half a million dollar bribe for the mob to build a supermarket, uh, a big mall, and he got wired by the FBI. A fabulous story. So we're going to have Bert on this Monday. And we're all doing, uh, Mark and I are doing shows for our Patreon, just specifically for our Patreon customers so that they don't feel that we're leaving them out. And you know something? We'll even... Just go on the Patreon and talk to you about current events of the day. Anyway, I'm Bill Cannon, and for Mark DeMeo, and of course, Joe Murray, our biggest benefactor fan, and he seems like he's on more podcasts than anyone else these days, <laughs> uh, and he's doing a great job. Folks, thank you so much for listening, and a good night. Good night. Good night.